Radio Influence. The future is now. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Coming up on this episode of the MMA Insiders podcast, Sam Kaplan and I will be discussing the recent UFC athlete retreat that took place in Las Vegas. We'll give our thoughts on this event and discuss if we think this was a waste of money spent by the UFC. Also on this episode of the podcast, Sam and I will talk about Scott Coker's response about ACB in California and how his answer wasn't smart, the letter that New Jersey sent to members of the ABC, and the battle brewing between regulators, the MMAAA clearly being done, CM Punk's feud with Johnny Bananas on MTV's reality show The Challenge, Paul Daly and Michael Page incident at Bellator 179, and we'll answer your questions and comments submitted via social media. Now, before we get into the UFC athlete retreat, I want to tell you about Fight TV. Fight is your gateway to everything, fighting, MMA, wrestling, and boxing, and more. Live on your phone or TV. You can download the Fight app today by going to fight, F-I-T-E dot TV forward slash Radio Influence forward slash. Once again, that is fight, F-I-T-E dot TV forward slash Radio Influence forward slash. That link is also available on RadioInfluence.com. Sam, how's it going? It's going well. Back a little bit sooner than, than I thought, but I had the itch. I wanted to, wanted to talk to you and talk to all the fine folks that tune into us. So do you kind of have that itch like Anthony Johnson has that itch to fight apparently? Wait, he does he not have the itch, or does he suddenly have it? He suddenly has it after uh, seeing uh, <laughs> Alexander Gustafsson and Glover Sherry. I think it's been about, like I don't know, like 50 days since he announced his retirement. The, the rumor is he uh, read his bank statement, and then he got the itch. His also, bank statement came in the other day. and I also wonder, since uh, apparently he's getting into the medical marijuana business with what's going on here in the state of Florida. even though startup capital. <laughs> Even though as, as uh, voters we have passed it, uh, it still has not actually gone in, into law. So uh, maybe that well, has he, something to do with it. He needs the startup capital, and there's only so much you can grow in your backyard. You know, he he probably needs to buy some land and get some greenhouses. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting debate going on here in Florida with that. But uh, we do want to start off by talking about the UFC athlete retreat. And Sam, before we get into this. It was an article that on MMA Junkie about you know Cajun Johnson and everything that was in that. Now in that article, there was a video of a statement made by Joe Carr. He is a UFC senior vice president of international and content. Now, Sam, I want to play this piece of audio, and I just want to get your instant reaction to it. So here is Joe Carr via MMAJunkie.com. Retreat in January, uh, the bigger WMAIMG retreat in Palm Springs. And I think everyone left that, like, you know, feeling energized and, and, and motivated and almost inspired. And it was very much a give back to the employees. Um, and there's some business elements to it, but it was very much like, hey, this is just enjoy yourself, get refreshed for, for the year ahead. And we thought, like, hey, you know, we've done kind of these fighter summits before, but they've been like a little still and, and you know, almost like long days and whatnot. And I think the, the feel of this one in particular is very much, hey, this is for the athletes. This is for them to have an amazing weekend, enjoy themselves with all the transition and everything that's happened and the new owners and whatnot. It's like, hey, you guys are our core product. 
this is who we care about, and we want to make sure everyone's happy, motivated, and excited to be part of UFC. So I think you know it's going to be a balance of professional and personal uh, this weekend. On the professional side, they're going to get the tour of the new Performance Institute. You know, you're talking plunge pools, cryo, full rehab staff, health and nutrition, um, strength and conditioning, and you know, all that available for free to these guys whenever they want to use it and come to town. Right? And I think well, that's really going to open their eyes and be like, wow, this is amazing. And it's, it's great to be part of UFC. So there's that aspect of it. And then the programming on the personal side, you know, we're bringing in guys like Kobe Bryant and you know, Brandon Marshall to come and speak to these guys about different topics. You know, we have kind of like the business side of it. We're bringing some financial advisors that can talk them through taxes and some of like the pitfalls there. Um, we have some social media best practices. So it's kind of educational, but also supposed to be like a very good time. And then there's going to be this crazy concert on Sunday night, which I'm sure is out there now. Um, so it's really for these guys to come and, and have fun. There's no like all ulterior motives. It's not like, oh, we're going to get everyone here and, and capture content or whatever. It's, it's 100% a give back to make these these guys feel like, hey, we're, we're happy and excited to be part of the UFC organization, and these guys care about us and, and everything that we're doing. Not that uh, I'm at liberty to say, but there is, there is a dollar figure, in it, and it's certainly an investment, right? And it was just the right time to do it with everything in the change. And I think there's been a lot of feedback. I mean, I'm sure you get it all. Oh, we haven't talked to the owners or whatever, so they're going to get to hear from Ari. They'll hear from Dana um, and let them know that, hey, like, we're in this thing for the long haul, and, and you guys are the key piece of the puzzle you know, to this organization, and you are the product, and we care very much about you. Sam, instant reaction to uh, what Joe Carr had to say there. Is it just me, or does Joe Carr sound like somebody's fraternity brother? Like, he just <laughs> graduated college a couple weeks ago, and they're going to throw this awesome rager, this awesome kegger for all the fighters, because fighters don't know how to have fun. We're going to throw a big party for him, and we're going to show him a good time. Has this dude ever hung out with fighters? Probably not. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they need a million-dollar gathering to unwind and, and kick back. I, you know, I, I don't think they need that. It, you know, is it just me, or do you feel like there's a level, Jason, like is there a level of condescension that comes from WME, IMG towards the MMA industry? I can see that. I can definitely see that. I mean, it's... To me, I, I just I look at that that whole retreat. It's a waste of money to me. I mean, I had you know I had some fighters tell me that they were interested in going out there and, and just seeing what they had to say. But when you look at the aftermath of this, how can you, if you are WME in the UFC, how can you say that was a successful weekend? It was a failure on many levels. Number one there's a lot of things that came out that embarrassed the company. I mean, Cajun Johnson getting up during the Reebok speaker's speech and basically voicing his opinion right then and there, probably not the ideal venue that UFC executives would like something like that to, to come out. You look at the Angela Magana getting punched incident on tape, world, world star, you know, world star hip hop moment for the UFC. Not a good look. There's, you know, at least six, you know, other instances where I could run down and everyone's heard them by now where it just, this whole thing was a total debacle and I don't think it really worked. I think it was counterintuitive. Maybe it worked from the perspective that if you wanted to get a lot of fighters out there to check out the new facility and the new resources that are at the UFC headquarters for fighters, the cryo tank and, you know, the training areas. Absolutely. That that's 
you know, if your goal is to get fighters to leave their camps and move to Vegas and work out of the UFC headquarters so they're under your thumb and under your watchful eye, great move. Other than that, this was a total waste of time and, more importantly, a waste of money. You have a lot of fighters that are crying poverty, crying foul, looking to get raises. You know, and I, I came up with a mathematical equation. I was going to go over it, you know, on the show today, Jason, and say this probably costs this much, that costs this much. But then Kat Zingano did her interview for MMA Fighting and basically said, you know, it had to have cost millions of dollars. I mean, your low end, maybe 750000 but that's probably people are probably laughing at that because that's very low end. It's, it was well over a million dollars. Yeah, it's funny when I read that Kat Singano piece, I had to, it just made me think of, of the, uh, the the messages we've had with each other just uh, you know, since that has happened. Just, you know, in terms of for my radio career, when you bring in an act like Snoop Dogg, if he gave them a bargain, 200k probably. That that might have been half a million. Kobe Bryant and Michael Strahan, they're not there for free either. Oh no, they're they're getting paid to appear. They're you know, they're not going to Las Vegas for a, a free weekend. You're you're paying them to come out there. And I, I just I think in the end of the day, and you know, we got the this question, uh, a long longer question, but it was from Tim Front Front Kick, and he brings up a great point where he says, Why can't people see the UFC spent twelve million dollars on the new performance institute? Using the current 78% equity they take over the fighters, a better way would have been to use that $12 million and spread it throughout the roster, meaning they'd have happy fighters all around. Castagano can't invest the 5K profit she made in her last fight. Can the system be fixed? Last, there's evidence that suggests some fighters like Cat, Ben Saunders, Miles Jury are barely breaking even. It's a shame. Now, to me, you know, let's just say, let's say they spent a million dollars on that retreat from from all the expenses that that went above that, and that may be a low number, Sam. That could be a low number when you're talking about. I think what they said, three hundred fighters coming out there. So you're talking about hotel rooms at the the JW Marriott, which by and the an way, open bar at the Snoop Dogg concert. Yeah, that's not for- cheap. Yeah, have, no, have you been around fighters? People? Have you been around fighters? When it comes, it's, it's like I, I have. I have. It, it's like being around a bunch of radio people at at a, a wedding. That's that's an open bar. There's yeah, not going to be a lot of alcohol left once it's done. Two places you don't take fighters and pick up the tab: a sushi bar and the regular bar, because they will. Fight, I've seen some fighters go through massive amounts of sushi and then also go through massive amounts of alcohol. You don't. You don't go to those places unless they're helping pick up the tab. Yeah, I mean, you know, and let's just say you spend a million dollars. Why not just, you know, cut that million dollars up into, I think the latest number is 581 fighters? And just, you know... It, it, or just do this. On, they should have done it on go-to meeting, you know? Yeah. No, you could easily <laughs> said, hey, guys, this is where we're going to do it. I mean, you know, the one thing about the Cajun Johnson, and I've had Cajun Johnson on this podcast before, and uh, you know he was very open and honest with his opinions. He didn't he didn't hold back. But you know one of the things when you talk about the sponsorship aspect of this, and and I feel like this is the part of the sponsorship aspect that doesn't really get talked about, is as a fighter, if that sponsor is only interested in being in your business if they can advertise in the UFC cage. To me, as a marketing person, that's more about their interest in being in the UFC cage as opposed to being in the fighter business. If they're if 
if they're willing to sponsor you where you do social media posts and various other aspects, then they're in your business. To me, I think as fighters, and I know many fighters don't like hearing this, you have to understand that part of the reason those sponsors were willing to pay you that, that sponsorship money was because you were in the UFC cage. Well, I don't know if this conference did anything to endear the fighters towards the sponsors and, and, and vice versa, endear the, the, the sponsors towards the fighters. You've got, you know, uh, Aljamain Sterling and other fighters, you know, live tweeting when allegedly a Budweiser, Budweiser representative is doing a symposium and the allegation is that the guy did it when he, he was half in the can. I've been around yeah. a lot of liquor people and beer people, Sam. Not surprised. Well, then why, why is WME IMG allowing that guy to speak? What? I mean, the, look, like, because I, I, I think he spoke at like nine o'clock in the morning. You would hope that. I mean, you would hope. He probably hadn't gone to bed yet. It's Vegas. Even though I don't know if, if you, uh, the ally, went to interview where <laughs> he just, he's talking he about. Just do- out, he just rolled out of the casino, <laughs> strolled right. No. Out, took an Uber, took an Uber, and then just walked right into the UFC headquarters no. and gave a speech. That you know how that went. You know it went down that way. No, how about I quit the talking about when uh, he was rolling around an Uber at seven o'clock in the morning? And he ended up at a strip club, <laughs> which let's leads me to the question: What does a strip club in Vegas look like at seven o'clock in the morning? Probably like a strip club in Tampa at 12 p.m. or 1 p.m. Tampa, so I guess look, that's the Tampa, Tampa is known for strip clubs. You're right. You're right. That was a. I, I took a dig at your city. I apologize. That, that, that's where they feel in Magic Mike, right? It's known for male strip clubs, right? <laughs> oh, man. There's nothing wrong with male strip clubs. There really isn't. I mean, I, uh, you, you, know, but, you hear about the A squad, the B squad. What's the 7 a.m. squad? It's probably the D squad. Man. That's like the. You know, I guess you could make an analogy. The UFC fight pass. There's probably you, you know you're watching a, the the main event. There would be like a UFC undercard. You get those three fights, and then you know, or maybe like a Titan. You know, Titan or Victories to step down. I guess you know the 7 a.m. in Vegas. I guess that's like the one of one of those weird international shows they have at like 2 a.m. Yeah, I mean, that's the that, that would. That, I mean, come on, following Ally Quinta around on on a, a, a seven a.m. That's quality entertainment. He said he said he got to go take the girl out on a date. Yeah, he took her. Like, I think he said on a roller coaster. Imagine how happy he would have been had he met her at nine p.m. or ten p.m. Man, yeah, it's a, it, it's. I mean, literally, it was like a it, it was a big party, and then you, you, the Neil Magny thing that. that you know what he wanted to talk about and <laughs> i i think at the end of the day is it's great to do these media interviews where, where you talk about your concerns but ultimately will the fighters ever come together sam and i just i hope it happens i just don't think it's realistic well yeah so they wanted a bonding experience but you made a good point on the last show jason you asked the question can wme img promote a fight in which the fighters don't hate each other and I think we answered that question. No, they've capitalized on bad blood between a lot of fighters. They've made money through pay-per-view by exploiting that. Now you want them to bond? You know, what? What? there's there's a hypocrisy there. Do you want them to hate each other or do you want them to bond? What is it? You've got to pick a direction and go in that direction. 
I'll tell you an interesting conversation I had within the last week with someone in the bar industry, and they were debating on whether or not to show this Saturday's UFC, UFC 212. And my my response to them was, look, if, if you consider it a cost of doing business, you should go ahead and do it. However, if you're basing on people rolling into your bar on a Saturday night, it's it's most likely not going to succeed because at the end of the day, UFC 212 is if and if you're going out to watch it or you're ordering it on pay per view, you're ordering it because of Holloway and Aldo, which is a great fight. The rest of the fight card, Sam, and, and I saw someone on, on social media you know, say this: it looks like a UFC Brazil fight night card. That's being that that is you're asking people to pay sixty bucks for. Which, I mean, look, you, you've drawn me in with Aldo McGregor, no question. And I think there's some fights on that main card that are set up to end in the first round via knockout. But I would say this. I don't think it's a good thing when people look at a fight card and they say the second best fight of the night is on FS1. Now, I think that's great for Marlon Moraes because he, he's going to be seen by a thousand more eyeballs than he's ever been seen on when, when he was fighting the World Series of Fighting. And if I was a fighter in his case, I'd want to be on FS1. I wouldn't want to be on the pay-per-view unless you're getting pay-per-view points, which he's not. Uh, or at least we expect he's not getting those pay-per-view points. But it, it's just, you know, and I think it's ultimately comes down to is I think the UFC has a has a extreme problem of getting the casual sports fan excited in their fight cards. They're going to have to consolidate the number of shows that they do. And I think that is the plan. I don't think I'm, you know, saying anything that's a stretch. I think you're going to see that. And I just don't think they've calibrated yet. I think that their long-term plan is to condense the roster. They're releasing a lot of fighters. And I think over time they'll be able to run less shows, but I think right now they're contracted for a certain amount. So that's why you're seeing shows like, the one upcoming this Saturday with a good main event, but not much depth underneath it. This is a problem I see, you know, and, and uh, by the way, I love Sunday afternoon cards. You can do more of those in non-football season. I'm I'm not going to complain, but as I'm watching that car, because I had to, I had to, a lot of times I watch cards via DVR, um, or I'm out and about with the boys watching watching the, the card. And I, I go back because I might've missed something because I was had a cocktail in my hand, but I was so I I did a post fight show right after so I knew I had to watch all of it live, and one of the issues I see from a marketing aspect is, and I understand why there were so much commercials for UFC two twelve, but it's like how about you sprinkle in the card that's in two weeks on FS one, allow your fan base to kind of that isn't going to UFC dot com every day or MMA Junkie dot com every day or. MMA fighting or the thousand other MMA websites that are out there and let them know, say, hey, by the way, coming up in two weeks on a Saturday night, we've got a heavyweight matchup between Derek Lewis, who I call the best person to follow on on social media. He's just hilarious. You know, and, and that's where I see is like the UFC. It's like it's a week by week thing and they don't do a very good job of promoting cards that are coming up in the future. We talked about this on a past show. I think it may have been two shows ago. They've made so many cutbacks across the board. And that's another thing, Jason. They spent so much money on this retreat. They could have retained a couple of their executive VPs and maybe some Mm -hmm. marketing people and used that money instead. But they didn't, and I digress. But they've cut back so much in key departments. I think that they're just not able to keep up with the churn rate, these shows after one another. And the marketing has suffered. It absolutely has suffered. And – 
there's a lot that I've seen from WME and dash IMG, however you want to pontificate on it. But there's a lot that I've seen from them thus far, because I think we have enough of a sample size. It's been almost a year coming up now that they've been in operation of the UFC and they've got a lot to learn. There's a lot of room to improve. I don't think the UFC is in as strong of a position a year uh, today as it was a year ago. And I don't know if it's just arrogance or if it's just they need to learn more. But if it's arrogance, then they're going to be in trouble because if they're not acknowledging some of the mistakes that are going on here and they're not working to correct these mistakes, it's just going to be a continued slow downward spiral. It's not things aren't in a disaster situation. They're not spiraling out of control, but I feel like they're on a slow, gradual downward plane. And as time goes on, if we look to the UFC a year from now, two years from now, if they continue on this course, suddenly you fast forward to two years from now and things could be in a disaster zone. The thing that, that concerns me about where we're heading as a sport, when I when I see and, and have people I call hardcore MMA fans, you know, whether they're all of MMA or just UFC, and they tell me, like, I'm not ordering this pay-per-view, I'm not ordering that pay-per-view, that to me is concerning because, look, at the end of the day, I'm in a business – that the way I make money is people listening to podcasts. And, you know, for instance, on Friday, I will do a preview podcast for UFC 212. When, when By the time UFC 212 starts, I know how many downloads that show has had, so it gives me kind of an idea. I mean, I'm trying to, you know, look, I'm in I'm in the MMA business. I'm try, You know, the MMA succeeding is good for me. You know, it gets me more downloads. But I, I think it's when you see those hardcore fans talking about, you know, I used to be, that person that ordered every pay-per-view or if I didn't order every pay-per-view, I went out to a, a restaurant or bar to watch it. Now you hear these people saying, Hey, I'll just go on MMA website and see what happens to me. That's, that has got to be a huge concern. And I, I think in one of the things I've heard is that the UFC has been reaching out to bars that show their pay-per-views and are asking them kind of their suggestions. What do we need to do better to get people excited and but you know, is that Joe Hand doing that or is that the UFC? UFC. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, U- U- UFC marketing is very hands on in that, and because uh, I've heard stories of uh, the UFC in conjunction with Joe Hand working together to basically call call up bars that uh, promote free cover. That is one thing that actually in the rules you're not allowed to to, to to promote. You're not allowed to promote free cover. Which I think, I, I think from a from a, a bar aspect, it, it's it's not beneficial because there are places that do cover do do have a cover charge. Uh, but I think as the way things are getting based on things I'm hearing, I think you're gonna see more and more bars are going to start doing cover charges for UFC pay reviews just to try to make some of their money back. I, you know, I think the issue, I mean, it's it's good to hear that they're making those calls and that they're willing to learn and they're willing to get feedback because I just don't think WME, IMG, I don't think they understand the fight game. And then you go back to Joe Carr's comments. Everything about those comments is what's wrong with WME, IMG. It says to me they do not understand fighters, which is very surprising considering they are an agency that works with some of the biggest entertainers in the world and some of the biggest athletes in the world. 
and maybe they understand those entertainers. Maybe they understand the non-MMA athletes, but they do not understand the athletes. And if they think they do, they're in big trouble because it's just it, it's it's not it's not working so far. I, I'm surprised that they are this tone deaf when it comes to the athletes that they that they work with. I mean, you know, I, I, in this case, but when I say athletes, I mean, in this case, the, the fighters, I, yeah. I just don't think they understand the fighters. I, I want to go I back. I don't think they understand fighting. I think that, you mm -hmm. know, somebody made a statement to me off the, off the record. WME IMG, when they took over, they blew out a lot of W, a uh, lot of UFC executives. Certain guys resigned. Certain guys were let go. Certain guys were encouraged to leave. And they brought in, I was told they brought in, you know, they didn't bring in MMA people. They didn't bring in fight game people. They brought people from the WME IMG offices straight from there into the UFC offices. And these are people that know a lot of things about a lot of different things, but they don't necessarily have the first clue about fighting. And I think we've, we're seeing some of that. I want to bring up something that, that Tim Frontkick had, had brought up. And, and this is something we've brought up in the past, but when you hear – Fighters talk about their finances, and uh, I mean Michael McDonald's a perfect case where he's talked about you know having a second job, whatnot. But you know, I, I think one of the things is when you talk about whether a fighter's making money or not making money fighting, it, it's it's a much deeper question than just what the UFC pays them. You know, have they had any financial investments that have gone bad on them? There have been fighters that. Um, you know, you hear, you know, so I think when I hear that, my thought is you have to take a case by case basis and it is how is a fighter managing their money? Maybe has someone taken advantage of them? Well, look, I, I've said it on the show. I think it might've been over a year ago. You know, when it comes to money, a lot of fighters are, like, are about as good with money as strippers are. Fighters are very bad with money in many cases. I've seen it. I've had friends that are fighters. You know, I've worked with fighters very closely, and they spend money like there's no tomorrow. And they they kind of lose sight of the fact that they're independent contractors. They don't. They're not on salary. They're not getting a steady paycheck. They only get paid when they fight. So if they make twenty, thirty k for a fight, you know, after they pay their expenses, maybe they're left with ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. You would think that someone that knows how to manage money, they would put some of that money away before they spend it but i've been around a lot of fighters if they're getting 12k or 15k and they're clearing that money they're spending it all i mean that there's nothing left over after about a month and it's but you still have got two more months left before you fight i remember you know, I, I, to, to that point i remember having a manager tell me this probably about a year ago he, he said and he was talking about one you know a fighter and he said this happens more times than not about two weeks after a fight, you know you're going to be getting that call because they need money because there's certain fighters that like the party. And, uh, you know, and all of a sudden they made, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. All of a sudden a lot of that money is gone. And, you know, look, the other side of it is, is there's, a, there's a tax expense that comes along with being a fighter that it's, uh, you know, it's you, you, when that money's not coming out of your check, you start to realize how much money right. you got to pay Uncle Sam. And everybody has to understand Fighters are independent contractors, and when you're an independent contractor, you pay double Social Security tax. Mm -hmm. If you're working full-time for a company, you're a full-time employee, you, there's a deduction made. You know, you pay partial so Social Security. You, you're, you know, some of that money that you make goes out, but your employer has to match that. 
when you're an independent contractor, you mat you're your own boss, you match that social security, and that can add up. I mean, that's that's a that's a pretty lengthy deduction over a course of time. So it's just it's you know it's it's a huge issue. You know, maybe at these retreats they should start bringing in financial planners and and people that can teach the, the fighters how to work with their money. Because as someone that's been an independent contractor in the past, I had to learn how to you know take care of myself and how to manage my money. It's, you know, that's, it was tough. You know, you'd get you know money that would all come in and you had to make sure it didn't all go out at once because you had, there was going to be time uh, between then and your next paycheck. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it wasn't going to be something that was paid out every two weeks, like an at, like a, at large employee. So, you know, that would definitely help out a lot of fighters. You know, I can't tell you, Jason, how many fighters when I was a matchmaker, especially with Bellator, how many fighters would come out and ask for advances and a little known fact about, you know, Bjorn Rebney, because there's a lot of negative stuff about Bjorn, but Bjorn helped out a lot of fighters, helped out a lot of guys with advances. It's not something that he ever wanted to get out there because then he would have the entire roster calling him for advances. But there were certain guys that he took care of because they just weren't good with money. They just couldn't handle it. And, you know, we couldn't fight them every single month once they were outside the tournament format. Yeah. That's why so many fighters love the tournament, Jason. It's it's not that they had to. It's not because they enjoyed cutting weight every single month and they enjoyed the grind of doing that endless, continuous training camp. They loved getting paid monthly, and a lot of guys that kept advancing that was really good for their lifestyle, and they enjoyed that. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and, and that's why I think you're going to see a lot of fighters going to be interested in that PFL, depending on what what ultimately happens uh, with the Professional Fighters League uh, in terms of that Sorry. payday. Sorry to cut you off. One more point that I want to make here. You know, with fighters complaining about how much money they make, you know, one thing that I've always said in the past was, well, how much does someone deserve to make for fighting? And I think that's definitely a mistake that I've made, a wrong outlook that I've had, because you look at athletes in other sports, you know, how much really legitimately should somebody make playing hockey in comparison to a doctor or a surgeon who, you know, saves people from cancer, removes cancerous tumors? You know, why should a, a, a... the 24th man on a hockey team make 10 times more than, than a world-class brain surgeon. It's just the way it is because what they're doing is generating revenue. And you look at the UFC, you know, legitimately, how much should a fighter really make for fighting, for hitting another person across from them in the cage, you know, in the face for a living. But that's not the reality. The reality is what they're doing is generating revenue and their employee employer is making money off their blood, sweat and tears and they're making a significant amount. The fighters aren't seeing enough of that percentage. And what the when when WME IMG when they come back and they're talking about infrastructure and expenses, then you go back and you look at things like such as this million dollar retreat, and you're you're just it, as a fighter, you probably are shaking your head saying, why? You know, it's that you you got these expenses. You know, why don't I have a say in where you're investing this money? This money should be invested back into us. The only way I, I see a, a change happening, you, you may remember this. This was probably about, I want to say, maybe five years ago. You remember when Team uh, Financial started leaking on Deadspin? I think Carolina Panthers was one of them that, that ended up getting leaked out there. To me, I, I think the only way things would ultimately change is if all of a sudden the 2016 UFC financials got leaked online. It would be interesting to see what they're spending their money on, where, where the, this money's going towards. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I think that's the only way things are going to change. You know, we got another question related to the UFC financials. This was at Joe Daddy 85 saying, can the UFC remain 
profitable when recent shows, UFC 209, 210, 211, only doing about 300 buys each, and that was a number that Dave Meltzer uh, had put out there this week. And, and, you know, I'm talking to people, they're projecting that if things don't change, that a year from now, the baseline will be as low as 200,000. And they're shedding hardcore regular pay-per-view buyers every month, month over month. They're losing that baseline dedicated audience that they could always count on buying their pay-per-views no matter what. That base audience, that core is shrinking dramatically and it's going to get to a point really next year where, you know, unless something is different, you're, you're, you're looking at that 200,000 plateau. And that's not a good plateau to be at. You know, once the WWE got around that number, that's when they switched to the WWE network model. They took their pay-per-views off and they put them on there for $9.95 a month. UFC is not going to do that. But it's interesting to see how things are transpiring as they approach the negotiation for their new TV deal. The, the speculation has been that, you know, they were going to look to shed a lot of these pay-per-views anyway and take them to Fox or whoever their new TV partner w- was as, as a way to increase that number. I mean, they're, they're not going to go from a hundred million to 300 or 400 million on their own. They, they have to offer something different that they haven't offered before. If you look at the NFL and the evolution of their TV packages, yes, they go up and up and up, but they're also always trying to add something new to the package, whether it be the Sunday night game, the Monday night game, then the Thursday night package, and then, hey, we'll do a third uh, Thursday, uh, third uh, Thanksgiving night game. They're always trying to add to that package to give the, the network something more for their value. So in order for that big jump to happen monetarily, they're going to have to give more to their network partner, whether it be more title fights, higher, uh, you know, uh, a greater frequency of fight cards, more high profile fight cards. Something's going to have to give. And really where that's going to where they where that's going to come from, where they they make that give that that that, you know, that offering to the networks, it's going to come from pay-per-view. So they're already seeing their numbers decline month over month, pay-per-view over pay-per-view. And it, everything's a prelude building towards getting more money through an annual rights fee and less money from pay-per-view. They're, it's like they're almost intentionally killing off their pay-per-view. They're not actually doing that. Uh, you know, th- th- There's no reason for them to do that. They're still doing these pay-per-views. They want to make as much money as, as possible and show a profit, uh, you know, as big of a profit to their investors as possible. But the, the, the way things are going and the way they're doing things, it just feels like they're just – almost deliberately killing off their audience and getting ready for 2019. I think one of the issues that, you know, look, I'm 35 years old. If I, if I, you know, I watched a pay view with two buddies of mine, so we split it three ways, so 20 bucks each. If, if I did not have buddies to watch these events with, there would be a lot of UFC pay-per-views currently that I, I don't think I could justify paying 60 bucks for. Yeah. I mean, imagine a guy in his late twenties, you know, early thirties, Recently married, you know, just had a newborn kid and, you know, isn't making a ton of money. He's just a blue collar guy. You know, how does that guy, if he doesn't have a lot of friends who like MMA, how is that even, you know, as interested in MMA as he might be, how is that guy able to, to watch the pay-per-views? Yeah, I think it's, it's, I'm not saying pay-per-view is a dying product, but you just, you have to put a premium product oh, out it. there. I'll say it. Pay-per-view is dying. If it's not... UFC is the only thing that's keeping pay-per-view alive. Yes, I realize Canelo is a draw, but that's 
that's that's it. I mean, WWE is no longer on pay-per-view. There's no secondary wrestling product doing pay-per-views. Floyd Mayweather is basically retired. He may come out and fight McGregor one last time, but he is not doing his two fights a year that he used to do. I, I don't think Manny Pacquiao is anywhere near the draw that he is. So what is on pay-per-view outside of the UFC as far as a regular contributor? And, and if the UFC does go away, I, I think that's the death of pay-per-view. You know, I mean, I think the thing when I when I talk about UFC and pay-per-view is if you look at what we have seen so far in 2017, I think there's only been one true premium product they have put out there. And that would have been UFC 211, you know, from fight one to fight five on the pay-per-view. That was a premium product. When you look at the other pay-per-views this year, 208, 209. Uh, and 210, they had a fight or, or two that, that drew you to that pay-per-view, but in terms of one through five, putting a great premier product out there, the UFC hasn't done that. And I think that, you know, I was having this conversation the other day with somebody, and they said, will the UFC have a pay-per-view that sells as much as Canelo's last fight, which I think was reported to be at a million buys. And I was like, the only one that might come close to it would be Jones Cormier. And, I mean, let's... You know, with everything that's happened between those two guys, I mean, that's almost a pay of you that you wait till the day of the event where, where you buy it or not because you just you don't know something crazy is going to happen. And it'll do well. It's not going to do a million. It's not. I think it's six hundred, seven hundred thousand probably. Yeah, I, I agree. That's that's a pretty good projection. You know, and there's really nothing else on the horizon as far as between now and the rest of the year that the UFC is building towards as a big money matchup. Yeah, you have Jones versus Cormier. Maybe GSP will fight. But other than that, what's there on the back burner that they have coming up? CM Punk, Johnny Bananas. That's a great segue because that if I was the UFC, well, if I was the UFC, I couldn't make that matchup. You know, you got away with putting CM Punk in there. I don't think you can do CM Punk versus Johnny Bananas because now you're straight up celebrity MMA. But someone should do it. And the interesting thing, you know, I don't know if you want to give the backstory on this, Jason, because you're pretty – I haven't watched the challenge or the road rules, real world challenge, whatever they call it now. I haven't watched it it's in called, years. It's called the challenge. Come on. The challenge. Okay. Well, you're the expert. You're the expert oh, on the I, show. Oh, I watch you're, every You're going to be our challenge correspondent. I, I, I know all about it. I know who Johnny Bananas is. I used to watch it a lot, more, more than I care to admit, but I haven't kept up with it recently. Oh, it, it, I mean, look, he is he, – he's the game player in, in, in this reality show. He's been doing these probably – for a decade now, and the the newest season of the reality show, it's it's a pros versus Joe, pros versus shows where it's the champions of the challenge taking on various pros. And on last week's episode, it was the episode that kind of they had been teasing for a while, where basically him and CM Punk get into it, and basically Johnny Bananas starts kind of you know ragging on him about you know his MMA career. And as I'm watching, I'm sitting there going, "Man, if you're the UFC, are you not considering this?" Because it would probably it would definitely bring a different audience to the UFC product. I want to get your opinion on this. Who do you think, as far as the verbal exchange, who do you think got the better of that exchange? Oh, Johnny Bananas. Which is crazy to think, considering CM Punk is a professional wrestler and used to get paid millions of dollars to cut promos. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, and I don't know what you do with CM Punk if you're the UFC. I mean, because if you release him from his contract, 70% chance he ends up in Bellator. Well, here's the interesting thing, Jason. Who owns MTV? That would be Viacom. Who owns Bellator? 
That would be Viacom as well. Which is interesting note is, this, is, this is a back, I mean, is this a backdoor way? I mean, is CM Punk already released and we don't, and it hasn't been publicized? And is this a backdoor way for Viacom to 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 promote him as an MMA fighter? Oh, I think if he was released, that news would be out there. I don't think that, that could be hidden. I, I, you know, it's it's it was interesting that Sean Merriman's on that show, and I think a lot of people have been wondering if if he ever decides he wants to be an MMA fighter. I mean, Bellator obviously would be the route that he would go. Um, but, uh, I, you know, it, it, I mean, look, if you're going to do CM Punk giant bananas, you're just, you're, you're just doing it to get ratings. I mean, let's call that's the way it is. Yeah, but I think it would actually do some business. Uh, you know, John, Johnny banana is not an MMA fighter, but you know, there's a lot of people that say, would say the same about CM Punk. And based on that promo that he cut on CM Punk, I think he probably, you know, maybe he would acknowledge that he's not a fighter, but he, I think based on that promo, it seems like he believes he would, he, he could take punk. You know, it's not, it's oh, not yeah. like, he, it doesn't seem like he would be afraid to get into a cage. You know, it doesn't seem like it would be a problem to give him tons of money to stand across the cage from CM Punk. Oh, no doubt. I, I, you know, you offer him good six figure salary. I think he definitely takes the fight. Yeah. yeah. I just don't know how much he weighs. You know, you know, in terms of is he is he around 170 pounds? Where that's where CM Punk, you know, how how old is he? Johnny Bananas has got to be in his, his mid 30s by now. Well, then I guess he's younger than Punk. I guess he could pass the medicals. Yeah, I would think that. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a fit dude. You would think he would pass the medicals. I mean, but uh, if if CM Punk gets released by the UFC, they're they're Viacom's doing that fight, and oh. they've already got they've already got some great B-roll out of it. Oh yeah, I mean that's it's. You some, think about it, that's a that could be a brilliant move. That could be a real brilliant move. It 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 very well could be. You know, speaking of uh, Bellator signing Roy Nelson, I've seen people call this a great signing. I would not call it a great signing, Sam. I'm sorry. I mean, he's a name value. He, he could deliver great knockouts, but at the end of the day, this is a fighter who's three and seven in his last ten fights. And yes, but they no were one cares to- about that. No one cares about the record. Look at Tito Ortiz. Look at the ratings that he did once he came over. What was his record prior to coming over to Bellator? I, no, I get that. But please, Scott Coker, do not book Roy Nelson, Chuck Congo. Don't book that fight. Because that'll Why be. Why not? Oh, that'll be a boring fight, Sam. Well, I think nowadays anyone who Chuck Congo fights gets gets a little boring. But from a rating standpoint, putting that up on a marquee and, and putting the, both those guys on posters and on advertisements, that's a that's a big ratings fight. People Look, are going to see that and they're, they're going to tune in. I mean, they're, they're going to think it. They're, they're going to uh, channel surf and think that think it's a UFC show. But here's the problem. If you're Bellator and Roy Nelson, how do you match make them? Are we talking Roy Nelson, Joey Beltron? You put a, you put him in fun fights. You, 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 I mean, he's a very popular guy. He's, he's got a ton no. of Twitter followers. He's been in some high ratings fights. He's fought on CBS. He's fought on the Ultimate Fighter. He's a visible guy. There's there's so many so many different things you can do with him from a box office standpoint. I would call it a nice signing. I wouldn't call it a great signing. Like a great signing to me. I, I, think, I, I like it. I don't know if it's a great signing. I like it a lot better than you do. I think it's all relative. How much did it cost for them to sign Roy Nelson? If they're paying Matt Mitrione to start his Bellator career at 120, 125 flat per fight, you've got to think Roy Nelson's at least 175 flat. Yeah. I mean, it, and can you. Can you make money off Roy Nelson? I think that's going to be the other part of it. Can you make money off any of these guys with what they're paying them if you're Viacom? Can you make money off Roy McDonald when you're paying him 400000 I mean, look, God bless these fighters. God bless them for being able to get this. It's crazy that they're paying him 400000 to fight tape delay. It's insane. 
It's not insane that they're paying uh, paying uh, Roy McDonald four hundred thousand. It's not insane that they're paying him that. It's insane that they're paying him that, having him fight, de- having him debut overseas on tape delay on a Friday. Uh, and I did not watch that event till that Sunday. I, I was like, it's a tape delay show. Are you knew the result? So I was like, I'm not going to sit there on a Friday night and watch it live. I'm going to go do something else. Well, I, I saw it like maybe I saw it on social media 20 minutes after it happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 and you can't blame the reporters that are there cage side reporting because for the most part, they're. They're European based MMA promoters. They have an yeah. outlet they work for. They they have to go out there and do it. I mean, yeah, it's I, 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 yeah. I saw Jonathan Snowden go on Twitter taking some shots at some of the the reporters there. And granted, some of these reporters didn't post a warning, but you can't expect them not to report on it live. A lot of these UK guys, they're not covering MMA full time. They're they're there. They're kind of the, the backup guy. You know, they're they're getting the gig report for these outlets because they live there so the show comes you know it's a big fight and they're there what are you gonna how do you expect them not to report it's a big deal to them how do you how do you expect them not to report on it like it's a big deal it's a sporting event right you know and and that's and look i've had people tell me that when it comes to this tape delay things bellator people in bellator they want this in asap but at the end of the day, it is Spike making the decision on this, and until those ratings dip at a low level, they're not going to change this mentality. Well, and I'll tell you what—I'll tell you the real reason. It's not a ratings thing. It's not a ratings thing. It's—it's it's a TV sales thing. It's very hard for a basic cable channel with declining clearance on cable distributors to be able to sell advertising for a live event that takes place mid-afternoon. I, just, I, I, it, they're not CBS. They're not ABC. They're not NBC yeah. that has a hit track record of doing sports in the afternoons on the weekends. They're, they're not. So it's tough for them to sell. It's tough for their sales team to sell advertising for a show that's airing live 2 p.m. on a Friday, 2 p.m. on a Saturday. It's a lot easier to sell that show when it's airing at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. in primetime. See, here, here's the thing that I've always questioned. Unfortunately, I can never get a fighter to go on the record with me. Is if you fight on a tape delay show, do you have a, a sponsor that pays you less because you're on tape delay? It's a good question. You know, I, when I was trying to do a story on Bellator and, and sponsor pay, uh, no one would, no one would want to talk to me about it. But uh, it's obviously, it's it's a big story. By the way, speaking of, uh, of Bellator... I talked about this on, on my MMA Report podcast uh, last week. The comments Scott Coker made in response to AB, ACB in, in California, Sam, you, you, when we talked about this, you, you hit right on the head. It just was not a smart response by Scott. No, and I, you know, I saw your preview for the show. I haven't had a chance to listen to your show. You know, tell us what your take on that was. First off, he, he, don't sit here and say you don't know who ACB is. <laughs> That's, the more that he tried to act like he didn't know who the, I mean, he he had to like the when somebody has to act that hard like they don't know something. The more they act like that, the more I know they know exactly what it is. Everyone in the MA industry knows who ACB is, and the reason for that is because they're paying legit money to fighters on the regional scene. They have already made an impact on regional MMA in the United States where, 
you know, these regional promotions that wanted to go out and get that that guy just got released by the UFC and try to bring him in at a low rate with, that fit into their budget. All of a sudden, ACB is coming near here, and they're giving them UFC-type money. And now they're expanding to the United States. They did a show in California last year, and really where this impacts Bellator is on those guys they are trying to get as ticket sellers on those preliminary cards that look, in terms of, and, and these are public information when it comes to salaries, a lot of the times you see those salaries are 1500 1500 2000 2000 maybe every once in a while you see 3000 3000 but where ACB is coming in, all of a sudden when you start hearing they're offering guys 4000 a show, 4000 a win, and there might be a commission on how many tickets they sell, all of a sudden Bellator is losing fighters that they want to have on their California shows. In the grand scheme of things, Coker's comments aren't going to hurt Bellator. Viacom and Spike TV, they care about ratings. They don't care about a guy coming in selling 200, 300 tickets. But as a promoter, Scott Coker most likely cares about selling tickets. And there's people within that organization that care about selling tickets. There's people in production that care about selling tickets because they want the house to look mm-hmm. full for TV. So when you make an underhanded comment like that to a Russian, because I've worked with Russians, I, I'm, I'm half Russian. I mean, granted, my family came over in the early 1900s and, you know, I, I don't identify with being a Russian national, but I, I, I've been around Russians. I understand that. When you make a passive aggressive comment like that, they don't respect that. They get angry and they jump all over that. Russian, the mentality is they only respect aggression. And if you don't come off strong and you do take an underhanded shot like that, they're only going to come back over the top even harder. And it's not going to change the way Bellator does business. But when they do those California shows, you know, guys that they typically maybe pay two and two, three and three, you know, the, the big ticket sellers, those guys now, ACB has motivation now to spend way out of their realm and just throw crazy money at them just out of principle. Yeah, no, I mean, it's happening, Sam. I'm telling you it's happening. And I just, I, I just, the way he handled it, I just, you know, I think the way, as you said, was not a smart move for them to handle it that way. But I think also the kind of the interesting thing that we have seen with Bellator, we haven't seen them do a California event since since February, which has been kind of interesting. Also, I thought it was kind of uh, interesting here is, they're only going to have – they have the show on June 24th. Their next show is July 14th, and the next show after that is not until August 25th. Kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, I guess you can kind of say, too, hey, it's a summer. Maybe they just think they can't you know, draw people in on a summer event. But I kind of find that interesting that you essentially have three you know, fight cards in 90 days. And here's another reason why it was a bad comment. If you're Scott Coker and you make that statement, either you're lying or you're ignorant. As a promoter – with the kinds of fights ACB has been promoting and the things that they've been doing as a promoter, you know, you want to sound as knowledgeable as possible saying that you don't know who they are. You either look clueless or you're lying. And that's for him to put himself in that position. Wasn't a good idea. And we both know maybe, maybe Coker and maybe he truly does know who they are, even though I doubt it, but you know that, that rich and and Kogan know who they are in terms of, and Coker knows who they are. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's just, it was... It, he's a smart guy. I don't know why he put himself in that position. He should have no-sold no the comment. He should have said, hey, you know, I've heard they've done some good fights. You know, if they want to come over to California, great. You know, good luck to him. And that should have been the end of the comment. For him to kind of 
go out on a limb as far as he did, I just don't see the reason for it. It, you know, it made him sound like he was threatened, made him sound like he was the exact opposite of everything he was saying. Yeah, it just I just don't understand. Of course, that was the weekend of the London event where the uh, they have to do Paul Daly and Michael Page in London now. They do. I want to go. Can we take a step back real quick, though? Go ahead. It's funny because a lot of what uh, Scott Coker said, I agree with. I don't think a Russian company having worked for a Russian company. I worked for M1, you know, global for a year, year and a half. A lot of these international companies, they don't know how to promote MMA outside their home country. And I just don't think a Russian company like ACB. I don't think it makes sense for them to come over here. They're going to blow a lot of money. From an operation standpoint, they're going to blow a lot of money. Same thing, they're going to overspend on fighters. You know, so he's right in that regard, but putting that out there and, you know, Kasayev has a lot of money and, and, and he doesn't care about making money. He's a fan of the sport. And Scott Coker works for a corporation. He's a businessman. He's a promoter who has always made money as a promoter throughout his career. And he's working for a, a boss in Viacom and Spike TV that operates as a major corporation. So right then and there, he's at a disadvantage when he's going against ACB. ACB, being a Russian-based company, they're not going to get come over here and suddenly get a, a big North American TV deal. They're not going to run major pay-per-views. From a grand scheme of things, like I said earlier, they're not a threat. But they're some, they are someone with an owner who is a fanboy, essentially. And when those guys come into the sport with money, you can't, you can't compete with them because they can just spend money and not have to – Think about whether or not it's going to make a profit. That's it's hard to compete against that. You know, we dealt with that at Bellator, you know, from a, a talent relations standpoint when we had guys like Glenn Robinson come in because Glenn didn't necessarily run his operation like a business. He was a guy that was a big fan of fighting, loved being around fighters, you know, and and wasn't making necessarily the best business decisions. And for us as a promotion doing business with him, it was tough for us to operate at the same level he was on. So Scott Coker, you know, it, it, trying to say things that are, that might get the ire of ACB and giving them more motivation than they ne already need to spend more money than they need to. It's, it's not, it's not the way to go. You're giving them bulletin board material. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and obviously, uh, ACB's already responded to, to Vance Coker had to say, but, uh, you know, look, he's, he did, you know, Scott just has to worry about putting on his own good product and, you know, look, you, ha you have to put Michael Page and Paul Daly in London, you know, you have to do what you can to make that fight happen. And, uh, God, it's got to air live in the United States, even though I know it won't happen, Sam, it's, that's a fight that you got to air live. You can't do it. You just can't. I mean, it's there. You can't do it anywhere else but England. It doesn't make sense to do it over here. I mean, it would do a good rating here, and fans would like it. But you could do huge box office. I, I don't think they have another show on the books for the rest of the year in the UK. They're going to have to add one to the schedule towards the end of the year. Oh yeah, I think no. You know, October, November is probably when you look to have that fight. Of course, you know, Michael Page. Oh, he has does only have two fights left on his deal, but it's it's a no brainer, and I think that, and I talked about this uh, on a podcast today recently. It, it it's a no brainer on so many fronts. You mentioned box office success. Uh, it's it's a fight that fans want to see, and it's a fight that will draw viewers to Spike TV. To me, it's but the question is, is does this fight ultimately happen? I think it's going to happen. I, I think Paul Daly knows he needs this fight. He looked terrible against Rory McDonald. I think from a 
stylistic standpoint, I think Paul Daly probably thinks this is probably one of the better matchups for him out there in which he could actually draw an audience. And if you're Michael Page, you know, Paul Daly, even though he's been around the sport for a long time, he may have some takedown ability against a non-takedown guy such as Michael Page. But really, this this fight would most likely be contested on their feet, in which case you've got to get both guys a shot. You know, it's a it's a 50 50 fight. Michael Page has the advantage because he's going to have the range. But Paul Daly has a ton of experience on Michael Page. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a fight that definitely I, I think has to happen. And, uh, you know, it's uh, and I'll say this. I think Bellator, as much as they've loaded up that the MSG card that they have coming up here in June, I think they've done a great job of having having quality, you know, depth driven cards for Bellator 181, which is July 14th. And they just announced Bellator 182 here on Tuesday. It's going to be headlined by Koreshkov and Inji Kawani also. It's a fun. That's a great fight. It is a great fight. A really you, got, fight. Uh, you got the co-main event of that car. is going to be Brennan Ward and uh, Fernando Gonzalez and also AJ McKee. It's going to be on that card. So I think that was kind of the big question I think a lot of people in the industry had with Bellator was because they were putting so much into you know, the, the pay-per-view and, and the preliminary card of that night was the fact of how will it have an effect on the future cards. And I think they've done a really good job. Uh, you know, they're going to be in uh, Oklahoma on July 14th uh, and then uh, upstate New York there at the end of August. I think they've done a really good job and they should be commended for that. And I do feel that Bellator, yeah, look, they have a lot of momentum going right now. And, uh, you know, the, obviously you, you bring in guys. I mean, Roy Nelson, we believe, will we'll bring in a, a good rating. It'll be interesting to kind of see what kind of, uh, you know, opponent they give him for his first fight. And Will we know, finally see a heavyweight title fight, Jason? It's been three years. Three years. Think about that. Three years since we saw Vitaly Minikoff and uh, was that was that Czech Congo? Or I... <sighs> I, I don't know. It's it's been so long. My memory doesn't go back that far anymore. That's like when when they signed the Nelson thing came out, and I was like, oh, let's see how long it's been. And I did not realize it. But I was thinking about about two years. Uh, actually, it was uh, yeah, it was against Czech Congo. Since then, Vitaly Minikov has had five fights. Here, here's the other Any question fights though. This week. Here's the other question though. How long has it been since they stripped Minikov? At least over a year. A year? Oh yeah. So would so you could make so. You could make the argument that yeah, they're not going to have a title fight when their champion is injured and then goes off the goes off the grid. But once you strip the guy of the title, why would it take over a year to decide a new champion? You should just, you should make Fedor Mitrione for the heavyweight title. You know what are they trying to do? Are they, are they trying to put together a tournament? You know, and that, if that's, so, how long have they? That's the thing you you've you've heard about that tournament for the last year that that was right. what they so, wanted to so do. Obviously you, obviously, you can't do it. So just do something else. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, look, you, you, when you look at that heavyweight roster right now, I mean, you can make the case that Javi Ayala should be fighting for a title fight, um, you know, with that win over Karatanov. But it's just, you know, I, I, that is probably the most popular question I get in terms of Bellator is what's going on with the heavyweight title. They're doing a lot of things that has me way more excited than what the UFC is doing, but that heavyweight picture it's just a model of inefficiency just do something finally yeah i mean it's something you've been waiting for and when you look at their their heavyweight division of fighters that they currently uh you know have under contract you, know, you look at i mentioned javi ayala fedor uh you know tyro fortune obviously that's that's a slow bill with him you have Sergey kartanov a czech congo there's a lot of questions whether bobby lashley ever fights in mma again 
uh, you know, Mitrione, um, Augusto Sakai, you know, Minikoff, the feeling is that he'll end up in the UFC. Uh, you know, and Justin Wren is, is another one they have there. Uh, you know, maybe you do Justin Wren, Roy Nelson. That'd be a good fight. You know, but they they got to do something to get, you know, I mean, there's there needs to be clarity because every time Coker gets asked a question, we get the typical response of, you know, ask me about another week or so, you know, but, uh, you know, there has to be there. Um, there was an interesting question I wanted to bring up to you from a matchmaker's perspective. Article on MMAfighting.com about Charles Oliver, the fact that he wants to go back down to 145 pounds. He's missed weight at 145 pounds four times, and he they had a, a, a lightweight matchup his last time, looked absolutely amazing against Will Brooks. If you are Sean Shelby, Oliver and his representatives come to you and say, we want to fight 145, what do you tell him? I try to handle it initially as diplomatically as possible, but usually when fighters and their management, especially when their management comes to you with it, when their management comes to you with it, it means they're not being either they're not being advised properly or their management has no client control. So when they come to you with something that crazy, you know you're in trouble. But you've got to still handle it diplomatically because people have egos, people have feelings, and fighters don't like hearing the word no. You know, fighters get an idea in their head. They you know they come to you with it. They want to do it, and when they when you tell them no, they you're the worst person in the world. It's like dealing with a child almost. So you try to handle as diplomatically as possible. The reality is it's a health-related issue, and, and you try to explain that. Say, hey, he, you know, it's it's not safe for him to be cutting to 145. He had trouble doing it. We don't have IVs now. California is implementing a 10-point, you know, plan now. You know, the, the sport is changing. But even once Sean Shelby makes all those points and makes that argument, they're still going to come back and say, yeah, we want to try 145 again. And because he's missed it so many times, and because he looks so good at 155, you just you just have to say no. I, I was I'm, almost, sure, I'm sure that that's going to piss them off, and they're going to get upset. But sometimes you just have to tell fighters no. I mean, I was wondering if you're the UFC, do you sit there and say, "All right, we want you to show up on July 8th. We're, we're going to have you weigh in July 7th. Show us you can make 145 healthy." No, because he's already failed four times. How many I mean, yeah, how many, how many I, opportunities do you get? No, I mean that's my thing. I mean, if, if you ha- if it happens once, okay, twice, uh, okay, I'll give you a pass. Once you go, oh, you miss weight three times. You you clearly have shown you can't make the weight. And just because he has a new team and he's doing things different, if I'm the UFC, I can't trust him in, in promoting him in a fight at 145 pounds because you don't know whether he can make weight. And that's why, like, I don't you know with with what's going on in California that you mentioned, Hinton Burrell's going back down to 135. And he's fighting in California, which I just I, I hope that he's doing it healthy. But man, I, they should have told I, him I no. Doubt. That's another case where they should have told him no because when you start letting fighters do whatever they want, you find your you find yourself in situations where things unravel very quickly and it looks like a debacle. I, you know, I'm not taking a shot at the current UFC matchmakers, but Joe Silva, some of these things that are happening now. They wouldn't have happened under Joe Silva's watch because Joe Silva wasn't afraid to be, a, you know, be labeled a dick. He wasn't afraid to tell these guys, no, if you want to be the cool guy and, and be the guy that, you know, everyone likes as a matchmaker, then, then go ahead. But ultimately, your performance as a matchmaker and talent executive is going to suffer. So, 
either you learn to say no and, and stand up to these guys when they come up to you with these crazy ideas that make absolutely no sense and, and don't benefit anyone else besides the fighter themselves or the manager, you know, and, 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 until you start developing that backbone, you know, you're going to have a, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have a lot of trouble. And Sean Shelby will be fine because he's been with the UFC so long and they're going to be loyal to him and, and Mick Maynard will be fine. But you know, a lot of these guys on these regional shows that want to be the cool guy, the guy that all the fighters like, those guys don't last very long. Yeah, it's uh, – I, I, I just look at things going on in the UFC. There, there's a lot of things that it's just have me, have me shake my head. You know, But we mentioned about what's going on with California. And I how, think they miss Joe Silva. Oh, I, I, think I, I think they do as well, you know, but, uh, you know, my, my everything I understand is, is Joe is, uh, you know, enjoying retirement up there in Virginia. Good for him. He's earned it. That's what a lot of people, I think, didn't realize that Joe did not live in Las Vegas. Nope. I think a lot of people just thought he lived in Las Vegas, but no, he was in Richmond, Virginia. That's how I, uh, that's one of the big reasons why when Bellator moved to uh, California, I didn't have to move. Yeah. I was like, that, that was my argument. They wanted me to move. I said, Joe Silva doesn't work out of the UFC offices. Why should I? But we mentioned about the 10-point plan that, that California has with weight cutting, and, and obviously the regulatory side has gotten a lot of attention recently, and you know obviously everything about the, the unified rules going on, and there was this, uh, this email that went out to the membership of the ABC from New Jersey that was signed by Larry Hazard, who is a commissioner, the deputy commissioner, uh, Rhonda Utley-Herring, and their counsel, Nick Limbo. And uh, everything is is about, uh, you know, the unified rules. Um, you know, I highlight a couple of things in this, uh, this memo that went out. One, one thing is actually in the second paragraph. It says, quote, such as clearly in the best interest of further growth of the sport, the health and safety of contestants, and more outcomes for promoters and fans. It, it talks about kind of how commissions have to get on the same page with each other. It, it, and you can see this, this memo is, is publicly out there. It's on MMAfighting.com. And, and I read through the whole thing, Sam, and this is my one thing that I, and I, and, and I'm not trying to pick sides on the people who are, um, you know, on the, the pro side of, I, I would call it the Missouli, Foster Bennett train and who is on the hazard Lukenhoff train and Bernie train. But when New Jersey sends this letter out, I hope that they would express their concerns at the ABC meeting in July. Larry hazard has gone out publicly and talked about these unified rules. I would hope Larry hazard would show up to the annual ABC meeting and express his concerns in person and have a debate with all the regulators, not just do it in the media and in a, in an email, but actually go to the annual meeting and have a debate with these people. Right. It's a good letter. There's a lot of points in there that I think are very, very valid. But when you write a letter like that, like you said, Jason, you better be willing to back it up. And there's no reason for Jersey not to be at the Bohegan sun for the annual conference, because I've done the drive from Jersey and, and Philly up to Connecticut. It's not a fun drive, but you can do it. You know, you don't need to spend money on airfare. And if you really want to, like, make it easier on yourself, you can take the train up there. Take Amtrak. It's a great train ride. Yeah, and, and I can tell you the rates for Mohegan are, are very cheap that, that week. <laughs> They're not for what Mohegan Sun is. Mohegan Sun is not a, a cheap hotel to stay at, but... I can tell you that the room rates for the week of the the conference are very very manageable. 
Um, you know, and part of in this document mentions about the states that haven't adopted the new unified rules. And I would tell you, a lot of those states are states that are uh, have shown support for um, the other national regulatory body that was founded about a year and a half ago, uh, which, by the way, actually has their annual meeting one week after the ABC meeting. And one of the things I heard about this meeting, and I just I, I couldn't believe it when I was told this. The referee training during that commission meeting is being handled by Mike England, which I don't know why Mike England is doing referee training after what we have seen over the last year with him, with Invicta and, and the UFC. Um, you know, but look, there there needs to be unity on the regulatory side. I, I think we have talked about it. This is a lot of this is ego driven, but it, you know, but there were commissions last year that did not show up to the annual meeting. Now, Nick Limbo did show up for New Jersey, and he expressed his concerns, but I just hope that everyone that has issues with the new unified rules, whether they should be in there or should not be in there, I think they need to show up. Also, what I believe is going to happen over the next year, Sam, no, this is just my belief, is that the UFC will stop going to states that do not have the new unified rules. I'll also say this. I wonder how much tax revenue the state of New Jersey has lost since MMA became legal in New York. I don't think it's as much as you would think. Because UFC, UFC hasn't been back to New Jersey. Well, UFC's never done a lot of shows in Jersey since, you know, once once the other states started adopting the rules, Jersey lost a lot of UFC shows. They, they you know, it, it, Jersey wasn't getting a lot of UFC shows to begin with. Where you have, where where Jersey makes its money, where it, where it really proves its relevance, are the amateur and the regional shows, and they still have a decent amount of those in Jersey. You're not seeing a lot of those kinds of shows in New York right now. It's just too cost prohibitive for a lot of those promoters. New Jersey didn't exist from an MMA perspective on those big fights. They weren't relying on those big fights. Their, their relevance was, you know, earned through the regional and amateur programs that that that. You know, they worked hard to help develop under their watch. It, it's different. MMA in Jersey is different than boxing in, in, in Jersey because boxing had those big fights in Atlantic City. At one point, it was producing a lot of revenue for the state. Larry Hazard, there was some serious ag- accusations, uh, you know, towards him. He left under dubious circumstance circumstances. Aaron Davis came in and the revenue for boxing dropped and suddenly Larry Hazard was back. So that's it's it's it. But the scrutiny and the pressure for boxing to perform for the state, it's not the same as it is for MMA. That's not how the that's not how the Jersey MMA commission was built. It wasn't built on those big fights. Boxing, the boxing commission in Jersey was built on those fights. And there was some things in this memo that I loved. And on the third page of this memo was mentioning about. Comments made by Herb Dean following the Dustin or Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez fight, where he had mentioned that uh, he analyzes whether a down opponent is "quote unquote" supporting weight. Now that is not in the rules of the ABC, and I like the fact that they brought that up, saying that you have a referee who's essentially creating a rule there. Um, you know, there was a lot of interesting things that were brought up in this. Um, you know, one of the things that was brought up in this was it, it said quote other major sports are implementing changes to make the sport safer while the ABC has rushed through the changes that could increase danger I don't know if I would say 
there has been a rush to change because there is a rules and regs commission that essentially I believe has a conference call once a month that are constantly talking about it. So it's not like I, I think that the only way you would say they're rushed is because there is only one annual meeting. Well, it, the confusion though has to, has to end it, it. You know, that's where I really agreed with Jersey in the letter in that there's now becoming different, interpretations of the same rule or the same issue where you're the, the down fighter opponent, you know, there's going to be three or four variations pretty soon on, on what a downed opponent is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That, and, and there needs to be, we, there needs to be unity. You know, right now we, we are just not a, you know, we are a sport that, you know, I mean, look to the, the Swedish Federation that uh, was the regulator of the UFC show this past uh, Sunday in Stockholm. They had a different rule for the down opponent. I mean, ultimately you feel bad for the fighters because, you know, when they're in that cage, are are they thinking about, oh, I'm in Texas, it's different here, or I'm in California, it's different here. I mean, that's, that's to me, I feel bad for the fighters. The, the final point I want to make on this, at least from my perspective, and I'll, I'm asking, this is not a rhetorical question, I'm asking this question to you sincerely, Jason, do we have a lack of unity in the ABC because there's a genuine, sincere disagreement on how to make the sport better, or is it due to ego? Ego. I mean, look, the sport is evolving, and you have to evolve as a sport. We can't sit there and look at the rules that were created 20 years ago and think those rules should be set in stone for the rest of eternity. You know, I think that, look, I think that a majority of the ABC are on the same page, but I think there's about 10 states that aren't on that same page. You yeah, I, I could I could live with philosophical differences. Uh, you know, if there was if there was unity issues because they couldn't agree on how to make the sport safer for fighters, they just had different perspectives and philosophically they were seeing things different, but they were all passionate about their position. They They wanted to do what was best for the fighter. I could accept that. But based on some of the personalities involved and, and, and some of the and I know some of these guys, I feel like it's it's these issues are not coming from a good place. Well, that's why I have constantly said over the last week is and look, I am planning to be up at Mohegan for this ABC meeting. If New Jersey is not represented and Larry Hazard's not there, what's that say about Larry Hazard? I mean, to me, I, I, I hope he shows up. And there is a great debate about this because that's what this sport needs. If if there's representatives of commissions that are not for the new unified rules and they don't show up to the ABC, what's that what's that say about our sport? It's it's not going in the right direction. It's just, you know, it's I don't know what else I can say about it. It's it's yeah. it's because we've talked about it before. It's just mind-boggling it is mind-boggling by the way uh it might you know what mind-boggling you know i still can't get over mike england teaching your referee seminar that's not let's let me clarify that's not the abc seminar that's the the rogue conference correct yeah the term that gets thrown around is is the quote fake abc so it's so him teaching a referee seminar would be like Marissa Mayer, the the ex CEO of Yahoo, teaching an internet security <laughs> symposium. It just it, it it doesn't like that's he's probably the worst candidate to be doing that right now. I mean, maybe Chuck Wolf would be, uh, you know, one step below. But oh god, 
I, I don't know. I mean, if you wanted to become a referee. Well, if you're no, but Jason, if you're serious about fighter safety and improving the sport and you want people to take your governing body seriously, why do you have Mike England teaching your referee seminar? What kind of message does that send? I don't know. That that gives your detractors and enemies a lot of ammunition. Oh, it gives them a ton of ammunition. By the way, uh, so can we just say the MMAAA is done? I think we have to be careful how we phrase it for legal reasons. It's not in a good place. Yeah, I mean, you read that the article on MMA fighting in relation to uh, T.J. Dillashaw's appearance on the MMA Hour. I mean, you know, there's been nothing. I mean, there's not been one little update at all about what's going on with that organization. I think by default, the current spokesperson for that organization would be Cain, Vel- Cain Velasquez. Not that he's asked for the position or he's been named to be the face of the organization, but just by default, by everyone else leaving and disappearing, he's pretty much the last guy. Yeah, it's man. It's I uh, guess maybe I guess is GSP. St- I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just it's him and GSP. You know, Cerrone is, is taking a big crap on it. Tim Kennedy took a big crap on on Bjorn and then retired and then went reenlisted rather than sink his teeth into this and put his full energy into it. He went back to war. I, I will tell you this, because I, I actually looked at it on my phone the other day. The last text message I got from Bjorn was in January. I haven't heard from him since. His mistake, his mistake was he jumped right back into this. He should have spent a year rehabilitating his image in the public eye before he came out and put himself front and center like this i don't disagree with that you know you, and there, there's guys out there that would have that, that would have helped him that could have coached him through this and it would have been an easy play you know you just come out and say hey you know i made some mistakes the mistakes that i made though i really believe that for the benefit of the fighters there needs to be you know a second major player if not more than that and during my tenure you know, after creating Bellator, I, I dealt with a lot of people that wanted to take down my organization simply because it didn't have the initials UFC. And I did everything I could and did a lot of the things that I did to keep my organization in business. I had to be strong for my employees and I had to be strong for a lot of my fighters. Some of the fighters that fought for me, they they came out and, and were negative publicly, but we had a lot of guys that were all for us and our growth in the industry. And I had to protect what we had created for them. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, it's just, but I've, I've heard absolutely nothing on them. Uh, I want to do a couple quick questions here before we get out of here. We kind of talked about Bellator and the amount of money they're paying Rory. Do you think they're overpaying for fighters? They're absolutely overpaying for fighters, but we've talked about this as well. That's probably the fifth time I've said that on the show, but th- we've talked about it on previous shows as, as well, that when you get into the free agency, free agency market, no matter what sport that you're in, just by default, once you've entered the free agency market, you're, you're inherently p- overpaying for talent. They have you know, to. The all- they have to. Right. Because in order to get uh, athlete A uh, or in uh, order to get uh, an athlete to leave team A for team B, you've got to offer more than team A. And so that that by default is a losing process. That's why you see a lot of these mid-market teams in baseball and other sports. Their focus is building their teams through the draft and young talent. and. Yeah. If Bellator's done a better job over the course of the last year in bringing in some young talent, they've accumulated a, a decent amount now. 
But in order to get these big name guys from the UFC, that, that's that's the only way. There's no other way. The only other way would be to do it how Bjorn did it, where you're just relying on internal growth, and that's a slow road. And I don't think Viacom wants to take that road. So what Scott Coker and Bellator is doing, it's endorsed and probably being promoted within you know the corporate offices of Viacom. That's what they want. And it's either do things the way Bjorn was doing it or do things this way and try to get some ratings. Next up from uh, Add a Few Words with ES, he writes, what should be done with UFC's 145-pound women's division with Cyborg being the only challenger, really, but Jermaine Day, Ramonda May in limbo? I I'm sure, Sam, you have seen the, the stuff with Jermaine Day, Ramonda May. I mean, I've always said when it comes to female 145-pound, it it's the Chris Cyborg business. Um, you know, her her and, and Megan Anderson, they, they really want this fight, whether it, it ultimately ends up happening. But uh, this has just been a cluster F for the UFC. Yeah, they're just going to have to strip, you know, the Iron Lady of the title. You know, now she's talking about going to 135. That's it's, it's you know, when Cyborg, you know, there's a lot of things that Cyborg says and does that that I don't agree with. But, you know, she's right. I mean, GDR, she's doing everything she can not to fight Cyborg. It's crazy. It's insane. It's transparent. So what? Really, what they need to do is if, if they can't make that Megan Anderson Cyborg fight for one, they're, they're going to have to strip GDR, and then they're going to have to try to make a fight between Cyborg and Megan Anderson, and they're having trouble making that fight. And if they can't make the fight, then they just need to end the division. Just take the title away and not do 145 female fights. Why am I, like, I, I, in a way I'm not surprised, but in also a way it amazes me that there's people in the MMA community that I almost have no problem with a fighter punching another fighter in the street. Meaning the whole cyborg Angel Mangana thing, right? Well, I, Jason, I do you you have a problem with that? I mean, you just can't be punching people in the street. But Jason, you, she crossed the line. No, no, she did, no, she definitely. Line, you know, putting those pictures up, making fun of Cyborg's appearance. You know, if it's one thing for fighters to talk crap about one another and talk about superficial stuff, and you know, and try to promote a fight between one another. But Angela McGonagall fights at 115. Cyborg fights at 145, and she's making fun of Cyborg for things that are out of her control. She can't control how she looks. It's that's hitting below the belt. And when you do that, and you you come out negatively that strong against a fighter that's not even in your weight class, when you're a fighter and you go after a fighter that way, that way, you better be ready. You better be prepared to deal with the consequences. Look, that's I, I, it's. I expect that Cyborg's going to get community service in Vegas. That's that would be, and, she, and I don't think she should. I mean, you know, I, I don't think she really did. You know, I think she stood up to a bully, Jason. You know, that, that, that it, it, those were dumb comments. She, Angela McGonagall had no business doing that. Did you see the recent uh, comments from Brandon Vera? I did. I mean, he kicked her out of he kicked McGonagall out of her gym, out of his gym. Yeah, I uh, I saw those comments. Um, and then for her to act like she was injured and then go out party that night was just yeah that was awful yeah you know she, what she should have done is just played it off so yeah she hit me it didn't hurt because the one thing that Angela Magana did right in that whole situation she took the punch like a champ yeah I mean I I just think it, it it's what if Angela wasn't a fighter. She was a then that, fan. Then that would have been wrong. Then you're talking about civilians. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I there, think there's that's... A fighter code. There's a fighter code. She crossed the line, and that's what happens when you talk that way to fighters, If you're, especially if you're a fighter. If it was a non-fighter, yes. A civilian, you don't, do, you don't 
at, you don't confront the situation that way. But, but I, I, I one say, fighter doing that to another fighter, that's that's what happens. I would say this. If I was in the cyborg camp, the first thing I would change up is her social media. Um, because she put some, her team put some stuff up there. I mean, there was, there was a tweet about three, two or three weeks ago about how she was trying, they were trying to talk about television ratings and everything they had was so inaccurate. And, and, you know, and, and the thing about Cyborg is she, she, when she appeared on FS1, she did great numbers, but when she was on a pay-per-view, there was no bump at all. And I think that's probably what the UFC looks at. You know, I, I truly wouldn't be surprised if UFC just lets her go. I really wouldn't. It it wouldn't surprise me because she's out of control. And I've talked to managers that have tried to work with her. And the one thing that keeps coming back that's a constant, that's a constant theme is that she's unmanageable. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, and look, I'm sure that, that Bellator would bring her in. But I mean, when you're talking about women's 145 pounds at a national level like that, you're in the Chris Cyborg business because, I mean, look, Bellator has been trying to develop 145-pound division, and um, I, I think when you look at women in Bellator, people are much more interested at 125 pounds than anything they have going on at 145 pounds. Yeah, the problem with the 145 is they don't have a star in that weight class, and they don't have one at 125 right now either. So it's hard to – I'm not. it's not a female MMA thing. It's just in general, any type of division, whether it's men's or women's, it's hard to make a division viable when you don't have draws. And now, and they don't, with, and now with UFC getting into the female flyweight business, that's not going to help Bellator. No, I mean, if I was Bellator, I would def- definitely distance myself from female MMA. I mean, they're not going to distance themselves from 125 because they just went out and signed quite a few female fighters to populate that division. But – there's no reason for them to continue to do 145. Let Julia Budd go to Invicta. Let her go to the UFC. That's where, you know, that's the pinnacle right now for female MMA at 145. Let her go do that. Promote 125 female, but stay out of the other divisions. There's not enough depth in those divisions for female MMA to run simultaneous weight classes in two to three different organizations across the board. Speaking of 125, you know, they had the the tryouts for the Ultimate Fighter and – you know, I saw some fighters that only had one professional fight that were there. I, I don't understand that. I, I get that maybe you want to meet the UFC matchmakers, but I don't understand why, if you only have one or maybe even two or three pro fights, why you would be going to get in a tournament that, let's be honest about it, four fights in your UFC career, you're probably finding Yoani and Jacek for the 125-pound title. Jason, I did quite a few live tryouts when I worked for Bellator. You would be surprised the level of fighter that walks into the gym in certain cases and thinks they have a shot. Yeah, it's that's a- why that's why MMA in certain instances needs a Simon Cowell to basically tell <laughs> certain fighters that you don't you you don't belong here because you're going to get hurt. Yeah, it's just it's it'll be interesting to see how that season goes. Uh, final thing here uh, at MMA underscore nostalgia 47 asks what you thought about Vulcan Olsmere and Marcin held UFC run so far. Really encouraged by that recent performance by Vulcan. Uh, you know, I, I signed him to Bellator. I was kind of surprised that he exited Bellator the way that he did. I think that's going to be one where they look back and say, wow, that's one that got away. Marcin held. I'm a huge fan of him, you know, personally and professionally. 
very surprised that he's 0-3, and I don't know if he's going to get another UFC fight. Yeah, I, I think he gets released. I mean, and, and, he was, and, and Bellator's not going to take him back either. They're not, they're not going to take an Owen, a, a Polish fighter that has limited command of the English language that is coming off an 0-3 stint in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he was off to a great start in that fight. You know, he he had clearly won the first two rounds, and then uh, then he tries to do that little rolling thunder takedown, and boom, knee, and it's all over. So yeah, I don't I don't think that he gets a another fight. But Vulcan, I, I tell you, I, I'm surprised to see the run he has been on here, and just uh, you know, incredible knockout that he had there uh, against uh, Misha Zerkinov, who obviously everyone thought very highly of. So, but that is going to wrap it up for another. Uh, podcast here sam as always love talking to may with you and uh, of course everyone can always uh correspond with you on social media hit me up at sam kaplan mma that's kaplan with a c c-a-p-l-a-n and uh coming up on this week's episode of the mma report podcast gonna be joined by ufc flyweight ben win as we talked uh, about his upcoming fight next week as he's gonna be taking on tim elliott at the fight night card there in new zealand also talked about how his wrestling and jujitsu coach actually uh worked with the late Crocodile Hunter, Steve Irwin. Also, we talked about uh, the fact that he has four fights already in the UFC. What does he want people to know about him? So you can check that out here on this week's episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, on Friday, I'll have a preview podcast for UFC 212. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the MMA Insiders Podcast, which you can always find on RadioInfluence.com. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. They had a high school class. Uh, it had something to do with uh, security, and I'm not sure exactly what it was for, but they, they actually sent waivers out to the parents, and they said, we're going to allow your kid to get pepper sprayed, and we're going to give them extra credit if they do it, because they're going to get a chance to see what that's like. And go, once again, Google it or YouTube it, and when they pepper spray these kids, like, I, I've never been pepper sprayed. I don't know. I could imagine what it's like. It's probably like getting hot sauce in your eye times 10. I get this. not good. I, I, I'm sure it's terrible. You should hear these kids bellowing. It's the craziest thing in the world. I mean, it's, it's cool to be soft now. Like, when I was growing up, there, it wasn't okay to be. It wasn't okay to be weak. And it's just our society is just a bunch of soft cats. And then I'm watching another show. And they're saying the new thing now are male. Listen to me closely. The new thing are male rompers. Does anybody know what a romper is? Okay. It's a onesie. All right. So, okay. <laughs> when I'm looking at this thing and there's male, okay, there's not enough money. I wouldn't even wear it for Halloween. Okay. It's that soft. But there's not enough money to make Ian Beckles wear a romper. Why? You can't be hard in a romper. You can't be, you can't even try to be a little bit. You can't even defend yourself in a romper. I'm okay. You can't defend yourself. If you have a romper on and somebody steps to you, just concede because you, can, you cannot hold your ground in a onesie romper. You can't do it. One guy had like some boating shoes on with the romper. You can't be tough in a boat in boating shoes either. 
And one guy actually had like a boa. So it's just a different world, I guess, that I grew up in. And if you're in the world of rompers, that's fine. It just would have been tough because our worlds definitely would have collided. And uh, I'm just scared of where we're going because, you know, every generation gets a little softer as we go. And as soft as this generation is, when the next generation comes along, it's going to be a whole generation of rompers. I can't wait. You can find Ian Beckles' Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.